Well, um, one of the most difficult things um, I find to do in my life is rest, is, is to stop. Um, and so the, in some ways, the irony in me about to preach on, on what we're going to see in a minute is, is something of a bigger picture of what it looks like to rest is not lost on me. Um, and in some ways, it's not an irony. It's a real gift to be able to look at it again this week as I sit my, my first week into uh, I'm very glad I got a few weeks off from my paid work. Uh, it's been a great time to rest uh, as a family. We've just been down to see friends in Plymouth. Uh, as I said, a lot of people are away doing different things over this month. Uh, and it's a joy now to come together and be with you all. Uh, because rest is a gift. And today we're going to see some of what Jesus has to say about how it's been embedded in the fabric of creation uh, and how he came to bring it as the ultimate goal of all creation. And then as we look at the Pharisees, how some people distorted uh, a wonderful gift that he gave. So we're in our second encounter uh, with Jesus as we see him at serious odds with the Pharisees. Um, Luke bunches together, um, if you read back through it another time, Luke 5 and like, uh, Luke 6, lots of different times that Jesus and the Pharisees were at loggerheads. Uh, and now uh, we see this encounter with the Pharisees, and the Pharisees are just uh, the Jewish religious leaders of the day. They took their faith extremely seriously. They looked uh, to help and enforce others to do the same as well. And they obviously think that what Jesus does and what he says here in Luke 6 is extremely serious. Uh, verse 11, read down with me. Do have it open on a screen, I think. We'll put some stuff on the screen as much as we can as well. But read down with verse 11. We see at the end of this section, it says here, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were furious and began to discuss with one another what they might do to Jesus. The Pharisees, if you notice throughout the passage, they're watching Jesus, they're trying to catch him out. They're looking to see what this upstart carpenter was teaching people. So what did Jesus say and do here to provoke such a response? What is the big deal with this thing called the Sabbath? We have two stories here. Luke's fashioned them together to, to make a point. Two stories here. And in both instances, what Jesus says and what he does royally annoys the Pharisees, so much so that they begin to plot against him. So um, what we're going to do first is we're going to dive in a little bit to the Sabbath and what it's all about. Um, work out what it is. Why are they taking it so seriously? We've got to dive back to understand what it is to be able to understand what's going on here. So here's the Sabbath 101. As I said, I've, I've struggled to rest before. And also, um, I've spent a lot of time with my job writing and creating resources for Christians in sport, talking about Sunday sport as well. Um, sport and and how that works. And, and probably nothing in my work has caused more debate and discussion and comment uh, than maybe what we say about Sunday sport. It causes some real vigorous discussion, sometimes a bit like we see here. Um, so as part of my studies, I'm doing some studies uh, where I can as well, um, I got a chance to write all about the topic of the Sabbath and trace its role throughout history in an essay. So um, here, don't worry, I'm not gonna read the essay, but here's a condensed version uh, of what's going on here so we can then think about the so what question. Uh, the question later on, and what difference does it make to us here now, as we understand what's going on here in this passage? So uh, we need to zoom back to the very beginning, first of all, right back to Genesis. Uh, and we need to remember, um, you may know it, you may not know, how many days did creation take? Anyone, fingers up, how many days did creation take? I've only got five people on my screen, so it has to be one of those five hells I can see on my screen. I see Caroline, you're the lucky ones. Um, far, uh, six days, six days it took, not five. Uh, and then we see this on the seventh day, you'll see it here uh, on the screen, hopefully. Uh, then we hear on the seventh day, 
God rested from all his work and God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating all he had done. On the seventh day, God rested from all his work and he blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating all that he had done. So right back in Genesis, we see for six days God creates and then he stops. He rests. All the other days in creation have a start and an end. The Sabbath deliberately does not. Some people, uh, when you read commentaries, they argue that because the most words in the creation story are written about the creation of man, that man is the main goal of all creation. But instead, what we can see is that the detailed description of man's creation helps us understand the true goal of creation. A relationship with God, communion with God on the eternal seventh day. Rest with God. Shabbat, uh, the word in Hebrew for Sabbath, just means rest. And the ultimate goal of all creation is to be in rest, to be in communion with God. The whole story of the Bible points to the same. There's more I could say. I'd love to chat. For instance, we see some wonderful things in Genesis of the use of a number seven again and again and again. Um, It's symbolic. The number in Hebrew, Sheva, is the same root as the word complete or full. You see, Hebrew books are written differently to ours. Um, The use of numbers, as we saw when we read Revelation, if you remember recently, are key. And the number seven is used again and again and again in the Old Testament. And then in the Jewish calendar as a reminder of this goal, rest. With the fall of man in Genesis 3, we see man forfeit this restful, joyful communion with God. But the wonderful thing is, God still wants to restore us to that place of rest with him. So that's some helpful background right at the beginning in Genesis, right back at the start. But what about the Sabbath laws, about having things you can and can't do on a certain day? That seems to be what the Pharisees were getting, uh, being their bonded about. Uh, In our story in Luke 6, what on earth is such the bother here? Well, we see then the observance of one day and seven as a day of rest given by God as a reminder to his people of creation and the goal of creation. And we see that given again in the Ten Commandments, Exodus 20, we see that. And God says this is to help them remember that God stopped at the completion of creation. But then in Deuteronomy 5, as God's people prepare to enter the promised lands, they've been slaves in Egypt, we see the Sabbath command given again. And we see it expanded so that God told his people not only were they to rest once a week, but all of their household, including their slaves and their animals, were to rest as well. And we see in Deuteronomy three main reasons given for why God's people should keep the Sabbath. Firstly, as a reminder, a reminder that the whole of creation is leading towards that time where humans will imitate God and join him in stopping from work. Secondly, uh, as they left from being slaves in Egypt, as a, uh, we're, we're told it was a day to celebrate and remember that they are now free. To remember that this was all God's work as well. They're to trust in God, not their own work and labor, so they're to stop. Uh, and finally, we see later on in Exodus, uh, the Sabbath observance given as a marker to distinguish God's people from everyone else. It would be distinctive to the Jews that they would rest and they would give rest to all those who worked for them once a week. So that is the context in which the Pharisees celebrated the Sabbath. But the point I'm really trying to make here uh, is it was a big deal. 
And so to make sure they followed it properly, the Pharisees then made loads of little laws and provisions. If you've uh, read or watched anything about Orthodox Judaism, you'll know some of them uh, about how they try and make sure they do no work at all on the Sabbath from Friday sundown to Saturday sunset. Um, things like not walking or traveling more than a certain distance, not preparing food. Um, we had family of my brother-in-law who couldn't come to their wedding due to travel laws they were observing. But the Pharisees were serious about Sabbath observance. And in some ways they were right to be. It's easy just to put them as the enemy the whole time. In some ways they were right to be. But the issue Jesus picks up here is how they made the Sabbath observance uh, far more complicated uh, and they took people away from its true meaning. And so it's with that context that we get to our two stories. So look down with me in Luke 6 again. We're going to start actually with the second story first. Uh, and I'll explain why in a minute. The second story first. So uh, verses 6 to 10, we see a real simple story, a story of a man with a shriveled right hand. Uh, he's in the room as Jesus teaches one Sabbath. And provocatively, Jesus calls him out. He knows he's in the room. Jesus calls him out. He knows what the Pharisees were thinking and trying to do, and he heals them. But before he heals him, he calls the Pharisees out. You see, Jesus is not meek and mild here. As we look at these encounters of Jesus, we see something about what he cared about, about what he was like. Jesus absolutely hates people who distort God's law, who distort what God is like and who deceive people. And that is exactly what these Pharisees were doing with all these rules and laws. Yeah. Jesus calls them out. He basically says, hey, Pharisees, you're watching here. See this man here who cannot work because his main hand is shriveled. It, it's for Sabbath today. Should I heal him? Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good, to, to save life or not? Jesus is asking here, why was the Sabbath law given in the first place? Pharisees, was it given to make man miserable? No. He's saying under that it was given to be a blessing, to be a reminder of God's goodness, to be a reminder of his freedom that he offered and a time to rest. He knew the Pharisees' answers. In the Pharisaical view of the Sabbath, they'd written a whole book, the Mishnah, with thousands of rules about what you could and couldn't do, and they update it regularly. The Pharisaical view of the Sabbath reluctantly, I use the word reluctantly deliberately, allowed someone to help a dying man on the Sabbath. Someone who would not live until the Sabbath ended. But the man with the withered hand, he did not fit that category, did he? He would live. He'd live with it for many years, probably. So the Pharisees believed Jesus should wait to heal this man. And Jesus is asking, why? Well, this is legalism. And it's deadly in all of history. We saw Hells a little bit talk about it in, in her upbringing. How that view of if I, if I put on certain clothes or did certain things, that could make me right, maybe. We see in Jewish history, it's been completely deadly around the, uh, the laws of the Sabbath. A Jewish sailor uh, was caught in a storm after sunset on Friday once, and he refused to touch the helm of the boat, though he was threatened with death. Thousands suffered and were butchered in the streets of Jerusalem by Antiochus Epiphanes, rather than lift a weapon in self-defense on the Sabbath. Deadly. So why have the Pharisees added all these laws in? They, they were legalists, and it's something we can all struggle with today. A legalist adds to God's law probably for a few reasons, but mainly they add 
in laws which are to be followed in their own strength in order to feel they might earn God's favor. If I do this thing in the right way, then God will love me. He'll honor me. He'll save me. I need to, I need to do things. That's how I will be qualified. That's how I'll be made right with God. Or, or maybe like in the case of the Pharisees, they set up laws for others to follow in order to make specific rules that become requirements to make someone qualified for membership in a certain group. In today's world, in our world, it, it can be prevalent. There's, in our own hearts, it might be as well. In order to be a Christian, you must do this. In order to be part of this church, here are these rules which define exactly what it means. And if you break them, then... You see, in all forms of legalism, people are saying, I am the one who needs to do something. I need to rely on myself alone to, to feel good, to feel safe, to feel secure in love. It, it's a form of unbelief. It's saying, I don't believe that God can or will save me, so I'm going to do all I can to try and persuade him to. It's deadly. We need to be really careful to put in place, look, not put in place laws where scripture doesn't guide us. And the Pharisees, they're missing the point here of what the Sabbath is all about. It's deadly. And so Jesus partly goes to town on the Pharisees because of this. So the question arises, what's the solution? What is the right way of viewing things? Because surely God's laws are a good thing to potentially follow, aren't they? They're wrong here in this instance, but not, not completely, are they? So then we turn to our first encounter on the Sabbath, back to six verses one to five. And we see that Jesus' disciples have been eating corn from a field possibly breaking rules about how far they were to travel as well as food rules. And Jesus doesn't defend them against this breach. If you notice, he doesn't say, no, no, they're in the right. He doesn't do that. Instead, what he says in verse three is this. He says, have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God and taking the consecrated bread, he ate what is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Firstly, uh, it's pretty insulting, isn't it, to tell the Pharisees, have you not read? Because they have. They, they knew the law inside out. Uh, their life is devoted to it. But clearly they have not understood. They've read but not understood. And, and Jesus is reminding them of a story about King David. You can read it yourself. He basically says, look, David broke your laws pretty obviously and pretty badly, actually. David ate bread that was specifically dedicated to God in the temple and could only be eaten by priests. But you don't criticize David. Why? Well, partly because there may have been a, a dire need of hunger. Is it important to do good on the Sabbath? Yes. But mainly you don't criticize him because of who David was. David was God's king. The Pharisees knew David's identity and so they didn't criticize him. So Jesus then tells them who he is. He says, don't criticize me because the son of man is Lord of the Sabbath. The son of man is Lord of the Sabbath. The Son of Man is a key phrase used in the Old Testament to describe the predicted king who was promised to come and save God's people, but who would be rejected and persecuted whilst he did it. And Jesus is saying, I am that promised king, and I am the Lord of the Sabbath. I'm the one who created it. I'm the one who made it. And so who knows what can and can't be done on it? Jesus is saying here is God, and that understandably offends the Pharisees. We also see elsewhere something even more radical that Jesus says. Jesus is saying that he has come to bring that final Sabbath rest 
that was promised from the beginning of time. Remember right back to Genesis. He said this in Luke 4. We'll look back in it in a minute. Remember the importance of number seven, the, the rhythm in the Jewish calendar? Well, it wasn't just about seven days in a week. God also instituted special festivals and months of rest every seven years. And then every seven times seven years, every 49 or 50 years, there was a year of jubilee, a year of sabbatical for the people, also for their land, a year where debts were forgiven, where land was restored, an amazing year. And another reminder from God that he is the one who provides, that they need not trust in their own labor. And now at the end of the Old Testament, when we look at it there, we get prophecies about a time to come of eternal jubilee. Where does your mind go to when you think of a, a time of rest with God? Debts forgiven, land restored. It's pointing towards heaven. We see prophecies about a time to come, the eternal jubilee. And so in Luke 4, Jesus quotes from Isaiah. And this is what he says. It'll come up on screen. Uh, Luke 4. You'll be able to read it yourself. This is what Jesus, he stands up on the Sabbath. Key, on the Sabbath. He stands up and he says, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That's what Jesus says. He quotes directly from Isaiah. And this is genius. He rolled up the scroll. He gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Mic drop Jesus. You see that guy who's going to come and do all those things, quoting Isaiah, bring this eternal rest promised about this, this year of the Lord's favor, this year of Jubilee. That guy, you see that guy? Well, that's me. Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. But you might as well have said today, that guy, that's me. And today's passage, we see him say, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. He says the same. To those who trusted in Jesus, the eternal rest has come. Hebrews 4 says, now we who have believed enter that rest. We live now in this place of, if you've trusted in Christ, of utter freedom, free from needing to make up and follow rules to feel close to God, free from striving for his love and acceptance, free from looking to earn our way to true rest and freedom. Because Jesus has come and as he died on the cross, as he rose again, he declared it is finished. And he called on us to just trust in him and experience that rest now and for eternity. Sabbath rest has come in Jesus. So back to our second story, Pharisees, those ridiculous laws you've added to the Sabbath, which mean I can't heal a man on it. I can't make a man's life better. They miss the whole point of the Sabbath. The Sabbath was to remind God's people of God's ultimate goal, to remind them to not trust in their own work. And you've completely gone against them. It was a gift, a blessing. And you've made laws for them to do. You've made the Sabbath work, Pharisees. And Jesus says, I can tell you how to live on the Sabbath because I'm the Lord of it. You see, legalism is blown out of the water when we recognize who Jesus is and what he has done. There is... No need to strive and earn God's favor because the Lord of the Sabbath has come and brought the eternal year of Jubilee. He worked, he struggled, he strained, so we don't have to. So the eternal Sabbath rest has come through Jesus.
But, but what does that look like now to live experiencing that as people uh, living as God's followers, Jesus' followers now? The, the goal of salvation is to experience that rest. As Jesus says elsewhere in the Gospels, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Isn't that a wonderful statement for Jesus to make? Maybe for you right now, you need to hear that. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. As we live in this kind of period of the now and yet the not yet, we're not yet in that eternal rest fully, completely. Well, what for us? What do we need to remember? Well, firstly, we need to remember we are not under the law. We are at rest. The first thing I need to make sure I'm absolutely clear on is we do not need to follow the law in order to be saved. It's what I've just been saying. And in order to be declared not guilty, we cannot do anything. We need not do anything. The Pharisees added law upon law to try and earn God's favor to prove themselves worthy. The issue is even if they kept all of those laws outwardly, which they never could, inwardly they would still be rebels, sinners who are rightly separated from the holy God. So this is key. Even though we have broken the law, even though we are astonishingly ungodly men, the good news is that God justifies. He declares us not guilty through faith in Jesus. And that's a wonderful, joyful truth. We can be at rest in communion with God because of this. Secondly, uh, what's important to see is that the actual Sabbath then is not something for Christians now. Uh, in the sense that it was for the Jews, it isn't for us now. Sunday is not the equivalent of the Sabbath. Paul in his letters is really clear on this. He, he says this in Colossians. I'll read it for you. He says, therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. It seems as if the church is in church in Colossae was being told that their faith was weaker or missing certain elements and Paul wants to remind believers they have all they need now in Christ he wants to say that to us as well so the Sabbath as well as the food laws and a lot of the the, the other laws which we find in the Old Testament many of them the, the sort of ones around the temple around the sacrifices they were markers of the old covenant shadows pointing towards a reality that is now come in Christ Christ has come he's brought the Sabbath rest we were waiting for so that specific day is not for now. But I think this is where we see this elsewhere. We see this here, the Sabbath principle, as we try and apply it now to us, the Sabbath principle is for us now. In Luke 5, just before our passage, Jesus has said he's come to bring in a new order, a new way of living. With that ends these Sabbath rules. But, but the law itself is not just obsolete now. What is the point of it for a Christian? Do the Ten Commandments still stand? Well, two key purposes of the law are firstly that it shows us our sinfulness. You would have seen this if you read The Enemy Within. It is by the law we come to a knowledge of sin. By knowing the law, by having the law, we see our need for a saviour as we see our own sinfulness. So it shows us our sinfulness, but the law also is a great wise rule for life. That the law is given to help us to see how to live. God made the world. He knows how best to live in it. Whilst many of the ceremonial and temple laws are no longer needed, much of the law is still wonderfully helpful. It's a gift. Remember this. It's a gift. It's not, it's not something we have to do, but it's a gift to help us to see how to live. And Jesus himself in the Sermon on the Mount, which comes just after this, himself tells us what it looks like to be his followers. 
the important thing to remember is just that though that who we are comes before what we are to do now as christians who we are comes before what we are to do now as christians the ten commandments themselves do this brilliantly right at the start god reminds the people god has saved them and then he gives them the commandments god did not save his people because they kept the commandments they were to keep the commandments because god brought them out of slavery before god tells us how to live he he saves us he makes us new creations and he gives us his spirit to help us now to live so if it was wise and right for jews to have a day away from work each week and here's our punchline in some ways then it is for us too if it was wise and right for jews to have a day away from work each week then it is for us too if it was a day for them to remember that they need to not trust in their own work their own labor and remember what god has done then it is for us too it's a gift from god a gift of rest a wise gift also remember the sabbath principle was god's idea before there was a fall into sin we saw that back in genesis before there was a fall with all the added burdens that it brought one day in seven was different from others without the same pressure of work a day to remember we're not god so um, as we land now here are some practical suggestions remembering this is a gift not a law uh, and stuff for you to discuss yourselves in, with friends, with families, with spouses, uh, and afterwards as well if you stay around on Zoom. So here's a few principles. Firstly, stop. This is what I need to hear and remind myself of. Stop. Don't work if you don't have to for one day a week. For many pastors, it's midweek. For me, it's often a Saturday. If you work shifts, it may not easily be a Sunday. It may change week on week. But if you can take a day in the week, it's wise. You're finite. And this is an act of worship to stop and to rest, to remember you're not God. For me, practically, as I said, with, with church, while Sunday's a real joy, it's not the day I take as my specific day of rest often if I'm preparing to lead or to, to speak. So I try as much as I can um, to take 24 hours off from Friday night to Saturday night. Friday night is normally date night uh, for me and Caroline, or, or sometimes a night to hang out with friends. It's deliberately different. And then... Wherever possible, I, I get my emails, my computer off, and a, a day to hang out with family and friends to play sports, sometimes to spend time with those don't, who don't know Jesus and to just shift my rhythm from what it normally is. I think there's a challenge which I'm wrestling with myself of, of how over the weekend I deliberately stop and thank God for what this rest and what this rhythm change signifies of the rest I have from needing to earn any love. I need to work out how to do that well. Um, so that's for me right now. Caroline normally gives me a line for a few hours on a Saturday morning, and then I try and do the same for her on a Sunday, so she has a different pattern and space that day. It, it'll be different for others. If you're married, then and if you have children, then husbands, can I encourage you to take a lead with your family on this? This is what leadership looks like. Take a lead and put strategies in place, particularly to give your wife a different pace once a week. Work out how you can lessen the load on her for a day. Discuss that together. It will look different for others, but, but do discuss it. If uh, you're a single parent, then see what you could do with friends and family to help have a different pace day. Church family can step up here in this instant too and help. So stop. It's the first thing. Secondly, commit to spending time with God's people. We can see as we look back on it that it was given as a day to remember God and what he has done. And so it can be that day for us too. Uh, hence why for many people, the day you set aside may be a Sunday. 
in our culture, that's the day when we meet because it's a day when most people can meet. Uh, for other cultures, it isn't. It's why it's not right to equate a Sunday with the Sabbath directly. They're not quite the same. When I lived in Egypt, most churches met on a Friday, actually, because that was the one day a week employers generally gave off as it was a day Muslims in a Muslim majority country, they met to pray. So it made sense that they met then as God's gathered people because otherwise it was a work day for them. The majority of us here uh, and in our culture will not have to work often on a Sunday. So um, don't use the day as a day to yourself. Come and bless others. Remember what Jesus has done. Because what we see here is the third thing is as Jesus reminds us here, use that day to show love and mercy. In our passage, Jesus gives a really key insight, doesn't he, in the second story. It's not to be a day for ourselves. It's not to be a day of laziness. Sabbath-like rest isn't just to hunker down, do they on, hang out on your own, hang out just with your family and TV on. No, when he says what is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or destroy it, he's saying it's, a, it's an opportunity to bless others. To, to show compassion and love and mercy, to do good, to save life. So think of what that could look like. Arrange to see people and bless them. Cook meals and share it with others. Deliberately spend time with those who don't yet know Jesus. Demonstrate to them the peace and freedom you have as someone who lives at rest. Commit to using it as a day to show love and mercy. And finally, and this is important, we're called to always live as those who are at rest because of what Jesus has done. It's not just for one day a week. Let me be clear on this point, is that this is not to be reserved, this, this attitude, this feeling for just one day a week. The whole of our life, as Hell's really helpfully explained, can be lived in worship to God, showing love and mercy and proclaiming good news to others. When Jesus healed the man, he was making a point that it is always lawful and right to do good and to save life, every day of the week. It's also good and wise, as people are finding now as they go away on holiday, to take rest beyond just a day a week, isn't it? good time for holiday for some there may be a space for sabbaticals from work at times as well as part of our dna as humans we need to remember we are just that we're human and we need to rest our life is not to be defined by our production i need to preach that to myself every day as we close and john calvin uh, the one of the reformers he says it brilliantly he says the sabbath principle lived out now is not confined within a single day it extends through the whole course of our life so let us try and take a day. Can I challenge you on that? If that's something which you haven't has a usual practice or maybe something which you you've had it as just a day off, but not maybe thought about how you could use it in a different way. But let us remember what we have totally now in Christ for all of our lives, total rest, the promise of eternal rest for eternity to come. And let us live as if that is true. So, um, as we finish, there's a challenge to sit down with others and discuss it, discuss some of these practical suggestions. We'll do that on Zoom. If you stay with us, please do stay with us on Zoom, even if you normally wouldn't. Because Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. He's the one worth listening to. Because of what he has done, we have the expectation of eternal restful communion with God. What a joy that is. And as we live now, as people are at rest because of the Lord of the Sabbath, we can live now as if we're at rest because we are because of what Jesus' death and resurrection have brought for us. What a joy.